Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this season. And yes, there's a lot of tension right now. Um, it seems like people are, are polarized. And Lord, even us, we've got our own views. We've got our own opinions. But Lord, we lay all that down at your feet. We pray that your word would give life to us. Your word would give clarity to us. We trust you. We follow you. But we simply ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to know what is true, what is right, as we just simply yield our lives to you. And I thank you for everybody that's watching this, that's listening online. I pray for you to bless and strengthen each one of us. God, I pray that this would be like rivers of encouragement released to our lives as we seek to follow you. And I do pray over this upcoming election. God, I pray that your will would be done. Whether we can hear it or see it appropriately or accurately right now, I pray that your will would be done no matter what we see or hear about on November 3rd or the days to follow. I pray as a, at the national level and also at the local level that you, your will would be done. You would lead us. The right people would be in the right place. And Lord, for those who get into office that do not follow you, we pray, God, that you would pursue them. We pray that you'd surround them with Christian witnesses that they could give their hearts to you. Lord, we don't just uh, allow or just let um, the government to be sort of separate. We ask, Lord, and we pursue you in this, that, uh, that righteousness would prevail across our land in every area, in every piece of legislation, in every law, and also the enacting of those laws, the enforcing of those laws. We pray that righteousness would prevail your righteousness, not man's righteousness. So we thank you, Lord, that you're king over all the earth. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This is The Daily Word. It's a special week of broadcast because we're going to be talking about government, politics, and voting. And so I've got a sheet of paper here because I had to write all this stuff out because I wanted to make sure that I stay closely to what I want to say. This this is one of those topics where if you, if you miss it or if you, if you communicate in a way that doesn't fully represent your heart or maybe you misstated something, it's one of those areas where people can easily divide. We're very polarized over the issue of politics and government and voting, and I think sometimes we're confused, and so I wrote out a lot of my thoughts, and I'm going to stick closely to my notes. Sorry if it feels like I'm reading this, but I did write it, so it's not from anybody else. It actually is from me, and so let me go ahead and tell you four things that I think are really important as we start this conversation. And by the way, this is part one. Part two is tomorrow, and part three is on Friday. We're going to give you three parts, and I'm using this format rather than the pulpit on Wednesday night or the weekend because we're going to go right into some very important things as we keep focused on God's Word. Now, number one, I am not going to tell you who to vote for. I've just, that's not my role. My role is not, is not to control you. It's not to tell you what to do. In fact, you are smart, godly people, and even if I tried that, you would sniff it 
and you would know right away that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to tell you exactly what to do. However, I am going to tell you who I voted for. Me and my wife, we have already cast our ballots. Uh, we've already done that. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed to tell you who I voted for and why, because if I'm not willing to do that, then a lot of what I'm going to say is going to have this undercurrent of, I hope you get it. And I don't really appreciate that. It feels like a lot of people do that these days. It's like, hey, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. And I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, but almost in everything that they say, you kind of feel what they're really trying to get at. And so I feel like that's kind of either a level of manipulation or sometimes it can just be a fear. Um, I don't want to be afraid that you know who I voted for. I don't want to be afraid that you know why I voted for them. And I also don't want to be afraid to tell you the conflict that I have when I vote. And that's really a, a part of why I want to talk about this because... Christians do have conflict when it comes to the issue of voting in specific, not necessarily political engagement. We're always going to have conflict with the world system, but the reality is, is that we can't vote for Jesus, and so we're voting for a man or a woman, and because of that, we're going to realize that, that righteousness from their perspective, laws and the enforcing of those laws have never been perfect, you know? And so what we're trying to do is discern what we're supposed to do in all this. So I'm going to tell you who I voted for, not today, but at some point, I'm going to tell you why, and that's why I want to guide you through this conversation. But I'm, I'm already aware that most of us, or a lot of us, have voted. The majority of people that want me to talk about this are not people who are genuinely seeking my spiritual guidance. Usually, the people that want me to talk about this are people who want me to tell everyone else who to vote for. Now, I don't I know if that offends you. I mean, it does, but that's actually true. I'm just speaking the truth. The majority of people that want me to talk about voting are people that want me to tell other people how they ought to vote. And I think this has to be a bigger discussion. And we need to take uh, we we need to take a step back, and really try to understand the Christian's perspective and the Christian's way in these issues in the world that we live in. And it needs to go beyond an election. I hope we can agree with that. Number two, I understand that some of you may disagree with my perspective on this, um, but I'm just asking you to perfectly consider what I have to say. That's what I'm asking. Uh, I think it's important that. Um, where there's disagreements, that we still can have conversation. In fact, I think that Christians should be known for their maturity and their ability to discuss things where disagreements happen. It's actually a very unfortunate reality where, where Christians um, are just, they, they're only able to listen to those that they agree with, and so they stack the deck and they sort of distance themselves from others. Now, we know that the world will do that. That's very clear. But Christians should be known for a level of maturity because we're willing to hear people out. We're willing to listen. There's a kindness and a gentleness in us, uh, the ability to interact with one another. We understand that, that we're, we're figuring out um, what Scripture says according to the, the issues that we face in the world system, how we actually you know, interact with one another over those things, how do we disagree in the right way, which ones do we truly take a stand for, and, and we're going to have division over, clearly, because they're going to divide our ways, our lives. And so it's really important that I just state for the record, I know not everybody's going to agree with everything that I'm going to say, but I'm not concerned about that, and I pray that you aren't, because I think maturity marks us 
and where we differ, we can still listen to one another. Um, also, I want to make sure that you understand, I realize that labels are the normal way that we do life. In other words, if you hear me say things that um, clearly align myself with what somebody else has said, you might be able to say, well, Pastor Ben is, is this or that, or, uh, and, and you put me into that whole category. I would ask that you not do that. Uh, when I read, I've, I've re- I read a lot of stuff. I, I work through this material. I've prayed a lot about these things. I've, I've weighed uh, a whole number of issues. Um, I don't have all of my ducks in a row. I don't have this all perfect. And I'm really growing and I'm learning a lot, especially as a pastor. It's one of those things where what's my responsibility? What am I supposed to say? What am I responsible, responsible to, uh, to do and to say as a shepherd of God's people? How do I guide people biblically and spiritually? Well, I'm, I'm going to try to walk you through some of that and tell you where I have tensions, tell you where I have points of learning. Instead of act like I've got it all together, I pray that you don't label my viewpoints because I think that that happens far too often. And when we do that, once again, it makes it easy for us to not listen to each other because we label and we judge and we sideline those that we feel like we disagree with. So anyways, don't do that to me. Dang it. Don't do that. (laughs) All right. Maturity should mark us. And I have sidelined people. I have not listened to people. I have judged and labeled people, and it's wrong. And don't do it to me, and I will try not to do it to you. Amen. We're in this together. Number four, as a pastor, I want you to know I have a clear focus to teach the Word of God, preach the gospel of Jesus, make disciples of all nations, and really shepherd those that God has entrusted to my care. Now, as I've been at Northwest Church for 15 months, and so I'm a newer shepherd to the majority of those that call this church home. And so it takes a while to earn trust and respect and honor and really have that sense of safety where people can, can really just come under my care and know that I'm seeking the highest good for everyone, biblically speaking. It takes time, I realize that. And uh, right now, time's not on our side. So uh, I just, I'm just going to step right in as a shepherd, and I want you to know my focus is very clear. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to get off onto politics as that is the most important thing, but I, I do want to say politics, government, voting, these things are important, and they should be part of our understanding as a disciple of Jesus. But I'm, make no mistake about it, I'm not doing this because I feel manipulated or pressured. I'm doing this because this is a season where people are on all sides and polarized, and I'm trying to seek the unity of the church. And so it's really important that um, you just know my heart. I'm going to go all in for the gospel. I'm going to go all in for discipleship. And I consider this a discipleship issue. It's, uh, it's one of the issues that should be important to us. And this is the season that brings that up. Now, let me go ahead and start with some questions. Question number one, do Christians have a moral or biblical ob- uh, obligation to participate in government? This is a question I hope to answer. Number two, is there a distinctively Christian way to engage the political process? Number three, do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, then what principles should inform our voting? These are good questions. Number four, what responsibility do pastors have to guide the church in the political arena? The reason that I have that question out there and want to walk through that to a degree is because I have been told more times than I can count 
that I just need to stay out of politics and stay away from it, which is kind of a strange thing to be told when you're a pastor, especially if the Bible touches on an issue. So you, you realize that there, there is a lot of perspectives walking into this, and there's perspectives on how a church should handle this, how a pastor should handle this. A pastor should handle everything through the Word of God. That's what a pastor should do. They, don't, they shouldn't just have their own opinions. I have them, but it's not my job to just convey those to you in a way where you take them on. In fact, I'm in tension over those anyway. So these are some of the questions that I hope to answer today, tomorrow, and Friday. Let's start with the issue of should Christians vote? And I want to just deal with that today. That's probably all we're going to get to, but I'm going to have to give sort of an understanding of a, a governmental structure and where this comes from and what I think about this in order to get to the whole perspective of should we or should we not vote, because I can't just answer yes or no, although my answer is yes. But I told you up front, see what I did there? We're working together. It's amazing. Now, I want to talk about whether or not Christians should vote because the last statistics that I read is that 30 million Christians are not even registered to vote, at least. Now, the numbers are probably much higher than that. And so there's always this pressure that comes down, like if Christians were to just get fully engaged, then we would own the block on whatever narrative that we're supposed to be propagating into society. So that's sort of the pressure, that's the... The articles that I've read is that if Christians were to really fully get engaged, then we would really have what we need to have and we would be where we need to be. Uh, yes and no, no and yes. And so we're going to work through some of that. But yeah, I, I do want to answer this question as to whether or not we should vote. But before I do, why don't we talk about some reasons why Christians don't vote? I just wrote down a few. And I think maybe we can relate to this because some of these are the tensions that we do have. Number one, what are some reasons that Christians don't vote? Number one, we feel that we can't honestly endorse either candidate in the election. Anybody ever had that before? <laughs> I remember in 2015 is the 2000 or 2016 that the election cycle that happened with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and I remember everything being said from like it's the lesser of the two evils to I can't endorse either and and actually for the first time for me just as a Christian I can remember people said that it's okay to vote. Pastors were writing blogs, pastors were teaching sermons, and they were actually, for the first time, not pressuring people to vote and saying, hey, it's okay to vote because the Bible doesn't necessarily say that you have to vote. And if the Bible doesn't say it, then you shouldn't have to feel the pressure to not vote. I remember reading pastors that I knew of that in years past were constantly telling people that they ought to do one thing, and now all of a sudden, because Trump is on the ticket and Hillary Clinton is on the ticket, it... Uh, they were uncomfortable enough to actually say these things. And so I think it's important for us to realize this. I can't, usually I can't endorse either candidate, honestly. That's been my, that's been my plight anyways. That's where I've been. It's where I was last election. It's where I've been this election. Um, you may differ, but uh, I mean, if we're just talking about like who's a good person, um, who treats their family well, I mean, we have to realize that Voting is more than just the personality. 
we're not just voting for a person. You know, I mean, if we're just going to look at Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I mean, there are a lot of other people that we're voting for in this election. There's a lot of other offices that we're voting over in this election. But if we're just going to look at like Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I mean, Joe Biden's like that kind of a nice grandpa that's going to tell you stories sometimes, and Donald Trump's going to be, you know, he's, he's like the reality TV show guy. You never know if what he's saying is totally spot on. So, I mean, if we're just looking at personalities, I mean, most people are going to choose Joe Biden, if that's really what we're looking at here, because Donald Trump has one of those personalities that, quite frankly, you just can't figure out. I don't understand. And he exhibits a lot of qualities of, of a narcissist, you know? So, I mean, I'm not saying that just because it's my opinion. I mean, it's just a really difficult thing to get your mind and your heart wrapped around these personalities sometimes, especially the ones that we have right now. What we've got to realize is we're not just voting for candidates, we're also voting for parties, we're voting for perspectives. In fact, I think worldview is what's really at stake here. What party can we endorse today? What worldview, what ideology, what concerns us as it pertains to our theology, what allows us to have religious liberty, what allows us to preach the gospel freely? Those are the questions that I'm asking. I'm not just asking, do I like Trump or do I like Biden? Is Trump a a liar or an honest person? And while character does matter, and certainly I wish that we had more of that in uh, these races and these elections, we're just not given that luxury all the time. And I think you know the tension that I feel. And so one of the reasons that people don't vote is because they're like, I can't endorse Joe Biden because I don't maybe believe what he does. And, and uh, in some cases, the Democratic Party, obviously. Um, and we'll talk about that later. Or, but I can't endorse Trump because, gosh, I just feel like he's, as m- many would say, he's very narcissistic. He's very self motivated. He's very, he's, he's very much about self. And although he can say one thing, it very much feels like he's got an agenda behind everything that he says. He's, he's got a lot of immoral talk and on and on and on. And so people that I know that have been really honest about this have been like, I, I just can't really support Donald Trump, you know? And so I want to, most of them want to vote Republican, but they can't support him. And so they're left in this conundrum. Well, that's kind of the tension that we ought to feel because we can't vote for Jesus. And so here we are faced with a candidate. We're faced with a man or a woman or a person, and they're the face of a party. They're the face of an ideology. And so we're not voting necessarily for personalities. We are voting for principles. We are voting for parties. We are voting for worldview to the best that we can discern that. And that puts us in a difficulty, but some people don't vote because they can't endorse. The second reason that people don't vote probably are we are uh, conflicted about our engagement with politics. You know, what is the Christian, how is the Christian supposed to be involved? And there's a long history of the church not engaging in politics. And I'll be honest with you, it's affected me too. It's affected me too. I've, I've heard so many different sides of this, so many different perspectives of this. We're not supposed to be that involved in politics. In fact, there's this concept we hear a lot about called the separation, separation of church and state, and that's usually misused. That original concept was used um, basically to keep the world's involvement out of, out of the church or the affairs of the church. It was not used originally, nor was it ever uh, uh, constructed as a doctrine to somehow keep the church out of politics, but that's actually how it's used today. 
A man named Roger Williams used this term in 1635 when he founded the state of Rhode Island, and he basically said an authentic Christian church would only be effective if there was a wall of separation between the church and the wilderness of the world. And he was saying that the church needs to function and operate, and that's actually what we see based on the Constitution, is that there is a separation so the church can function without the world affecting it. But that's what we see encroaching in this issue of religious liberty, which I'm going to talk about today a little bit and also the days to come. And so this was not a doctrine that was supposed to say to the church, you can't be involved in politics. In fact, the opposite is true. And from the beginning, even Thomas Jefferson was somebody who got up in Congress and he said these very words that we just read about from Roger Williams. He used the term to speak of religious liberty and that there had to be a freedom within the church to function within their beliefs and that they could take their beliefs into every sphere of society. And we must, we ought to. The fact is, is even with this new Supreme Court judge, Amy Coney Barrett, what you've seen is there's been an attack on her faith. Now, sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's direct, but this has never been the case. In fact, this has never been something that would have been okay in uh, the development of our country. Every person must admit that your faith informs your practice. It is ridiculous to think otherwise. To think that we can somehow set apart our faith, that is not a faith that I respect. The idea that somebody can have faith in God and his word, which by the way, we believe as Christians, the authority of scripture trumps, no pun intended, trumps everything in our lives. And then to somehow put that aside and act like it, but it has no place in my discernment, in my decisions, that's ridiculous. I don't teach that as a pastor, and I don't think you should listen to a pastor that would suggest that. That's not a faith that I respect. Either God's God or he's not. Either his word is true for all matters or it's not, but this doctrine of separation in church and state is not being used properly today. And so Christians are confused about their political involvement and their political engagement. And this is really important that we recapture our role of political involvement, that politics doesn't become the thing that we're focused on, but it becomes important as we walk out faith and life and following Jesus that we interact and act within the boundaries of what God has given us in the political arena. And we do so biblically. The way I live my life is based on scripture, regardless of what the issue is or the relationship is, period. I do what I do because I am to the best of my ability seeking to follow the Lord. And that, that is all issues of life. And so this should not keep us from the political arena. It should inform how we interact in the political arena. Number three, we don't vote because we think voting doesn't matter in the overall election. Like, for example, the idea of God's sovereignty, Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. And so some people have this idea of God's sovereignty as God controls everything, and so it doesn't matter if I vote because God's going to do what he wants, and he's going to change things as he wants, and my, my, uh, my actions don't matter. That is... That is passivity at its, at its finest. That's apathy. The Bible knows nothing about that. That is, that is not what these scriptures were meant to do in our lives, to give us some apathetic or passive mentality. Think about if we thought that way about evangelism. Well, God's going to save who he's going to save, and you know, so it doesn't matter if I share the gospel or not. Well, it does because Jesus said, preach the gospel to all creation. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. So what we do matters and what we don't do matters. God calls us to be involved in the realm of our authority. 
It doesn't mean that we're responsible for something outside of that authority that God has given to us. But within the confines of that arena of authority and the place of interaction and the relationships that we have, the stewardship of our influence, we are responsible and we ought to be Christian on every level and do the best of, to the best of our ability, we exercise godly and biblical principles. But we cannot have a view of God's sovereignty that God's just going to do what he's going to do, and so my involvement doesn't matter, whether it's the election or family or evangelism or otherwise. That's not, that's not a good way to look at politics or really anything for that matter. Number four, and finally, you're, you're tired of me sharing all these principles about why people don't vote, but you know it's true. If 30 million Christian voters aren't even registered or more, then it tells you that we have reasons for that. Number four, we are passive when it comes to being involved in the affairs of our community. It sort of reminds me of, uh, I first bought a condo when I was 19 years old and I've never shown up for, I never showed up for a homeowners association meeting, but I, like everybody else, had a lot of opinions, right? So it's like they should and they shouldn't do this. And if I ever read the minutes of the business meeting or if I ever saw a contract that we had uh, allowed with some landscaping company or, or the lighting company, and I saw that it was thousands of dollars more than it should have been. I sure had an opinion, but I never showed up to the meeting to make a vote. And that's sort of what happens is, is that we, we have these opinions, we have these views, we state for the record what we think, but we don't show up to cast our vote in our homeowners associations and and uh, our PTAs and our school boards, we're not involved. We're busy. We don't think it matters. And so we become passive and apathetic, but we care because we have a lot of things to say when it comes to the affairs of our world, uh, our local region, our state, our, our, our nation. We clearly have things to say. And, and I would tell you this, if we have an opinion about something, it shows that it matters to us. And if it matters to us, then we cannot have a passivity when it comes to stewarding our vote or our ability to influence something. We cannot advocate our responsibility if, in fact, God has given us a stewardship and we care about it. And so that's really what I'm fighting for. We can't have that passive homeowners association. Yeah, I'm a part of this, but I don't want to vote and I don't have the time to go to it. That's one of those things that I think far too many of us can fall into. And I would respectively say we need to move away from. Now, What does the scripture say about all this? Pastor Ben, we want to know what the Bible says. That's why you tune into the Daily Word. You're not tuning... Some of you, maybe you're tuning in to see what I'm going to say about this. Um, I hope you're tuning in to get some level of spiritual guidance, but maybe you're trying to discern if whether or not I'm going to say something that is or isn't from the Lord. That's fine too. I love you, and I know you're out there. It's totally fine. But what does the scriptures say about this. Did I just offend somebody? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love you. You know I do. Come on, just smile. Just smile. Mask off, smile. You know what I'm saying. All right. Just being, just being a dork. Just being a dork, ladies and gentlemen. Doesn't matter. It's live. It's recorded. Can't edit this. It's very fun. It's great. It's going out to the masses. And there's millions of people watching me all over the world. Just joking. What does the Bible say? Well, uh, I want to back up just for a moment, and I, and I want to give you some principles that help inform where we are today, all right? And this is going to be, it's going to take me a little bit of time, but it's important. Number one, this is God's world. Um, I don't care who is king or president of whatever nation, God is on the throne. That is, that is not some quip, okay? That is reality. God 
is over everyone. This is God's world. The Bible is clear in Genesis chapter one that he is the creator of the universe. The Bible tells us that he is the righteous judge. He is the sovereign ruler over all. So no matter who sits in the White House, no matter who is the king or the president over any nation at any time, men and women will rise and fall, but God is king over all. That is a fact. And we start there, that this is God's world. This is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. And this, is, this started this way, and it will end this way. And so it's important for us to realize that at the very beginning. This is God's world. Number two, God has delegated authority in his world to people. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, over all of the earth, God's earth, and every crawling thing that crawls in the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, that the earth would come under your authority. God allowed us to have authority in his world that it would be subject to us. But that was in relationship with God. As we're in relationship with God, that which is in, we are in authority over is in its right place, and it's gonna work the right way. So after God made Adam and Eve, he called them to multiply and rule over the earth. From the beginning, man has been called to govern the earth and the affairs of the earth. So God has delegated authority to us. Now, before government systems and structures were ever a thing, we had been given authority, and that is what government is based on. It is based on the delegation of God to man because this is his world. This is his earth. And so we are stewards, period. Whatever structure, whatever system is in place, whatever person is voted in or whatever person is born in, That person is a steward, whether they see it that way or not, we do. We understand that that person is only a steward. This is not our world. Every person has been been created by God, whether they recognize that or not, but we do. Number three, our sin has clouded our judgment and our ability to govern. Don't you know that's true? Just three chapters into the Bible, we see clearly that Adam and Eve walk away from God and his word. We call this the fall. The consequences of the fall, of course, are far-reaching, and they reach into every sphere of our world, every sphere of society, every governmental structure. Why? Because the fall caused men and women to be focused on self, self self-preservation. This is about us. This is about what we want. This is about us getting what we want, and it's always going to be about self-promotion. And so it's important for us to realize that sin has clouded our judgment, and that sin is a nature that we inherited, and it, be, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Obviously, this is where I give a pitch for gospel, the gospel of Jesus and why he came and how he came and the importance of redemption and that God making all things new through Christ means that men and women have an opportunity to bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord, but we have the opportunity to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus came to restore 
all things. Jesus came to put things back into its rightful place. Jesus is the king. He never stopped being the king. He always was. But we handed over our authority to the enemy. And because of sin and a sinful nature, it has clouded our judgment. It has distorted our focus. It has made us more about self than our fellow man and honoring God. And really, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love people. We could govern by that, loving God and loving people. If we love God and His word and His will, we could govern and love people, making righteous laws, enacting and enforcing righteous laws, because really that is the highest and the greatest law. Jesus was even asked about the law. And we've got to remember, if we go all the way back to even Deuteronomy, for example, if you followed me in the Daily Word and you've, you followed through the Deuteronomy study, you remember that as the children of Israel, Israel were headed into the Promised Land, Moses had been with them for 40 years in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, it's, it's like Moses' final dissertation before they enter the Promised Land. He's not going with them. And basically what we realize is what God had been teaching them through Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, we see that God is establishing a society for them to carry out. Why? Because they came out of Egypt and there was all kinds of unrighteousness under Pharaoh and polytheism and other God worship. And so God was disconnecting them from what they had known for 400 years, reconnecting them to him, Yahweh God, and he was telling them what to do and what not to do. Now, we read that, we look back on that, and we go, well, that's, some of that stuff just sounds kind of crazy, like don't eat shellfish and how you grow your hair and all this kind of stuff, not tattoo yourself for the remembrance of the dead, and on and on and on it goes. And so there are moral prohibitions, there were social customs and laws, but the, this main kind of undercurrent that we read is like, don't be like the other nations, which by the way, was really this main thrust that God wanted to help his people understand. I want you to be my nation. I want you to do it my way. I want you to follow my word. This is him disconnecting them from Egypt and the ways of Egypt and reconnecting them to him and to his word. Deuteronomy is all about the reconstruction of society and a lot of those laws were based on what not to do because of their mindset from where they came from. And so this is, in a sense, a governance, but it's God's word and governance based on following him. Now, if you follow the story, the Israelites wanted a king like the other nations. God told them not to be like the other nations, but they wanted to be. On and on and on throughout the story, we read about how people wanted a king. That king became corrupt. The system underneath that king became corrupt. In fact, the northern tribes of Israel, they never had one righteous king. Judah, the southern tribe, yeah, they had a righteous king here and there, but most of them were corrupt. What we find is when you put people as a, as a king over others, their hearts become corrupt. Power can corrupt people. That's what happens. I mean, that's what happens in every level of society. I mean, it's amazing how today we, you know, if we don't understand that, we're not going to get what's going on in our world today. And I think Christians forget this often when people talk about, you know, even the police today, they're, they're talking about defunding the police, which I'm not for, by the way. And I know there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of people that are and a lot of propaganda that goes behind that. But there's this idea of like, um, you know, there are these corrupt police officers and corrupt politicians, and it's almost like this skepticism. Everybody's corrupt. Yes, everybody has sin, but it doesn't mean that everybody walking around with a gun is against us. What it means is, is that when people have power, 
There is a possibility for corruption to enter that person's heart. Of course there is. And the same goes for you. The same goes for every person. And so that's why we have laws. That's why we have accountability. That's why systems and structures need to be developed to hold everyone accountable. But power can corrupt anybody. And we've just got to recognize that. We see that all throughout the scripture. We see that all throughout history. That is a reality. Now, I was telling you that because we were looking at our sin has clouded our judgment, and so we understand that. The fourth thing I want to tell you today is the world system is not a construct of God's will or God's ways. Man has built society over thousands of years based on the flesh, constructed on self. Now, that doesn't mean God wasn't involved in any of that. I'm not saying that. Sure, God was involved. His, his, the arc of his will is certainly involved in the affairs of man, and that includes government. But it means that we don't govern the way God would. It means that we have been corrupt over the years. Just look at history. It's obvious. I shouldn't even have to say it or affirm it, but it's the reality. But the world system is not always a construct of God's will or ways. And even when God was involved in the construction of a specific government, let's say the United States of America, we can see that people have not stewarded that place properly. So we've got to be honest about this, that even where God was involved, many times we have corrupted that. And we've seen that in churches. We've seen that where the church is God's idea. It's, it's God's designation. It's his design. Marriage, the family, that's God's designation. That's his design from scripture. Have we stewarded that properly? No, that's his institution. That's his idea. We haven't stewarded marriage properly, family properly, the church properly. You put one person up there and they have corruption in their heart. They commit adultery. They embezzle money. They do something that they shouldn't. And that whole thing is affected by that person. And that's what happens on the government level as well. And so we've just got to stop putting our head in the sand, acting like that's not happening on every level because it is. Now, government is not, what I'm saying is the world system. I'm not saying all forms of government. I'm saying the world system is not a construct of God's will or God's ways. But the issue of government is God's, God has instituted government, but the world system, which is the, and I'm just going to describe what I mean. There are a couple different words in the Bible when you read the word world. For example, in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Word, the word world, God so loved the world. The context defines the understanding of that word. God so loves the world. It's talking about the people of the world. It's not talking about the earth. It's talking about the people. God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his one and only son. But look at this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. There's something else that's being said here. John says, do not love the world... Okay, we just read, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now, John's saying in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. Well, he's not talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the systems and the structures and the principles that cause the world to function the way that it is, not the way that God intends. Don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. There's this stark contrast between loving people in the world and not loving the systems and the structures and the principles 
of the world, the world meaning that which has been constructed by non-Christian, unregenerate people, the systems that cater to man in his self-centeredness. That's what is being talked about. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus prays for the disciples that will be. That's you and that's me. John 17, 13. Listen to this. Jesus, looking through the corridor of time, prays for the disciples, which is us, and he says this, verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, okay? Obviously, it's in the, this place, so that they may not have the full, so they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, talking about his disciples, and the world has hated them. The world, who he's talking about? He's talking about people that are under a certain worldview, people that are under a certain mindset. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world, right? So are we of the earth? Are we of the planet? Are we in the, this world, this earth? Yeah, of course. So what is he talking about? He's saying they're not of the world system. They're not in that unregenerate mindset, the principles that cause this system to function based on man and self-centeredness. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they truly may be sanctified. This is where Jesus is saying, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. I want you to be among all that is happening in the world, and I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. Remember what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Salt is a preservative, right? It preserves that which is rotting and decaying. Light causes to shine the darkness, and darkness flees. But darkness can only exist in the absence of light. Jesus gives these metaphors because it is the, the reality of those that live for him. We are salt, we are light, we are the preservative of a decaying and a rotting culture, society, and ideology, and it's the worldview that really is at stake here. We see the world through a view of God's word. Some see the world through a view that has nothing to do with God. And so that is what is always at stake when we, come, when we look at the issue of government, and it's where we have tension, it's where we're not in alignment. And so the world system, we've got to understand that we're in the world and we're not of the world, which is why we constantly have to have discernment. We constantly have to pray. We constantly have to listen well. We constantly have to study God's word in order for us to interact in the world in a righteous way. And we're going to be in conflict. We're going to have tension. In fact, tension is the word that describes how I feel almost all the time. The word tension. I can't, well, I'll talk about it in a minute. Number five, and I'm wrapping up, but we're going to have to continue this discussion tomorrow, right? We're just going to have to do that. Oh, man. I'm excited. Okay, that's tomorrow, 8 a.m., but you can obviously catch this later too. Number five, God's government is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is the king. God's government is the kingdom of God, and Jesus is the king. The Father sent the Son to reclaim what we had handed over to the enemy. See, God is the sovereign over all the earth. And he called us to subdue it. He called us to have authority in it. We gave that over, Genesis 3. We have now a sinful nature which leads us and is based on our self-centeredness. But the Father sent the Son. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 talking about government, God's government. It says, for to us a child is born. We preach this during uh, Christmas season. But listen to what else is being said. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time until forever. This is talking about Jesus, and it's talking about the coming of the kingdom of God into this earth, which God enacted through his son, Jesus. He inaugurated when Jesus came into this world. The kingdom of God was inaugurated. And with the second coming, the kingdom of God will be consummated. Now, we as Christians live with this tension, wanting righteousness and justice to flow through every area of society. And so we're doing our best to know to be in the world and not of it, to interact with it, to vote, to, to, to try to trust that people will actually do what they say they're going to do. But in reality, there's this ache, there's this longing, there's a tension inside of us that is saying, oh, come Lord Jesus, not because we're, we're believing in some escapism, not because we just want to get out of here. I hope that's not where you're at. But re in reality, we want Jesus to govern. We want Jesus to take his rightful place. That, that's called the millennial reign, right? That's this thousand-year period where Jesus is going to be the ruler and the sovereign in our world, and we are going to be along his side to rule and to reign with Christ. That's the millennial kingdom. That's that thousand-year reign, and we read about that in the book of Revelation, the government that Jesus brings in the inauguration of his kingdom on this earth is what we're looking towards, is what we are under. We are under his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And we are in conflict constantly with every other sovereign and every other rule and reign in this world. Again, we interact with it. We're in the world and not of the world because we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And that's the tension that we must feel. We give our lives to Jesus. We confess that he is Lord. His ways are right. We follow him. Now we're called to interact in the affairs of this world, including government, but our allegiance to Jesus and his word and ways, even where there is conflict, is most important. Now, let me just say this to you. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, it says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the, kingdom, the kingdoms of this world have now become the, kingdoms of our Lord, or the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. This is sometimes when I preach, I'll say the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. In other, in other words, every construction of man at some point is going to be submitted to the king and the kingdom of God. That will happen. Every construct of man will be submitted at the feet of Jesus. And no person, no person will rule and reign somehow in his shadow. Every person will be subject to Jesus. And we're living in a dispensation of time where we can bow our knee and we can confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why we preach the gospel, because regardless of what you call yourself, Republican Democrat, you have to either you are a Christian or you are not. You either have bowed your knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord or you have not. And that's going to affect our eternity. There are eternal consequences here that we're talking about that are more important. It doesn't mean that government is not important. It just means that the kingdom of God is what we're looking at. This is why I personally do not give my allegiance to any party. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. You will never hear me say that. And I, I'm on record, okay? I will never give my allegiance to a party. Because right now it's a two-party system in the United States of America. If you're listening from another nation, that may not be the case. Some nations, they don't, they don't get to vote. 
Some nations, it is what it is. People are born into places, uh, uh, these places. Some, some do get to vote. Sometimes in some countries, people, some people can vote and some people can't. Right now, we have this two-party system. And uh, there are other parties within our structure, but they haven't made it to the forefront where you can vote and they have an actual chance of, of becoming a president or even sometimes any other office that might be under there. So I'm just saying, because these systems are going to fold under the kingdom of God, I personally do not give my allegiance uh, to them, but it does not mean I don't interact with them. It does not mean I don't value and, and try to understand them. It is what we have, and so I'm not putting it down. I'm not trying to act like it doesn't matter, but my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. That's my reality. That's my biblical living reality. And finally, how do we view government in the tension, in the in-between time, right? Jesus came and Jesus is coming back. The tension of the now and the not yet, the kingdom that has come, the kingdom that will fully be consummated. We realize that there's a massive amount of time between those two realities, the millennial reign of Christ, which is to come, by the way. Since um, we follow God's word and his ways, I believe we need to involve ourselves in every arena of life, including that of politics, because politics affect the lives of people. We cannot allow ourselves to think that any government system or structure is in total alignment with God's kingdom because one person can corrupt a good system. Listen to me. That's part of the problem sometimes that Christians have is we think, I can't fully endorse someone. You cannot vote for Jesus. I just showed you the kingdom of God is not the kingdoms of this world. God's structure, his rule and his reign, his perfect righteous rule is not something that we are ever going to see, unfortunately, in our land. I mean, we might see, we're going to see aspects of that. That's why we're going to vote. That's why we're going to be a part of, uh, that's why we're going to politically engage far beyond elections, hopefully. That's why we pray. We lift up holy hands and we pray for all those who are in authority. We, can, we cannot allow ourselves to think that our disconnection somehow is, is our submission to Jesus and his kingdom. Romans 13, the Bible teaches that government is appointed by God. And if that's the case, then we do want to yield ourselves to being somewhat involved to the degree that we are allowed. This does not mean that every leader is godly, nor does it mean that every policy is from the Lord. However, the institution of government itself is ordained by God for a purpose. Romans 13, chapter 1, and I'm, I'm closing. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they, have opposed, they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not of cause of fear but for good, or for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a servant of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, you should be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a servant of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Pay to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, respect to whom respect, and honor to whom honor. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, and other passages like it, they basically tell us government is to promote peace and good behavior and the welfare of society. They tell us government is meant to punish evil and to warn those who do evil and to ward them off. Government is meant to promote life and prosperity within a society and the world for all, not just for some, but for all. This is where justice is very important. According to scripture, we pray for those in authority. We submit when and where possible to the governing authorities. In other words, 
Acts 5.29 is my threshold. If the government um, commands me or seeks to compel me to go against God's word, my answer is no. See, that's my threshold. I will submit to the governing authorities as much as I can, but where there is a clear command of Scripture and I am being commanded or compelled to go against what Scripture says, my answer is no. Acts 5.29, should we obey men rather than God? No, we, we obey God. So we do submit. We also, according to Scripture, pray for those that are in authority. And here's my final thought. We're called to steward what God has given to us. I could talk about any of these for a long period of time. I hope it's been helpful. But we are called as stewards to steward every area that we possibly can. And that includes our vote. If you haven't voted and you, you're, you're praying about it, you're weighing it, I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to do it. I'm just here to explain my perspective on what I believe the Christian should do. And if you're asking me and you're listening to me, say, Ben, what should we do? I believe that we have been given stewardship. And to whatever degree, whether that's stewardship with our vote, stewardship with our presence, stewardship within business, stewardship within our job, within our families, within our church, every area where God has given us some level of stewardship, I believe that we want to use that for the glory of God to the best of our ability. And just because we don't see perfection in the political arena or in the election system or in the candidates does not mean that we need to dismiss ourselves. It means that we need to do the best that we can to submit ourselves within that structure to vote for who we can, to vote for what we can, to the best of our understanding of Scripture. And that's why we need to, again, look at this as a stewardship. We can't maybe change everything, but what we do matters just as much as what we don't do matters. And just look at what happens. The more people that think it doesn't matter, right, the more that it won't matter, at least their perspective in that process. And that's really what has transpired. That's what has happened. So as I've prayed about this and as I've sought the Lord in particular on this issue of voting, um, I'm at a place now where I'm, I'm more engaged and I'm more serious about this than I've ever been, not because of the election cycle, but because I genuinely have gone to God's word and I can see very clearly that it's important to engage my stewardship on every level that it's been given to me. And so this is why I believe that the answer as to whether a Christian should vote or not is yes. Now, how we vote and how we steward our vote, that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow and the following day. We'll talk about as much as we can. I hope this has been helpful, but let's go ahead and pray. And again, pray with me over the elections, all right? Pray with me over not only who gets into office, but what happens after they do, because that's really important. Our country is in such a difficult place where no matter who gets into office, something horrible can happen, something horrific can happen right afterwards. And so let's just pray to our sovereign ruler and king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we trust in all things with all things. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the stewardship that you've given to us, the influence that each one of us has. And Lord, as we seek you over these days and we realize that in our country there's so much tension and difficulty and, and we just pray, God, right now that your will would be done in this election on every level. We pray that righteousness would prevail. Lord, we also pray that you would bring peace to this world and I ask that you would do it through the gospel being shared and lives being given to Christ. 
I pray, God, that we would make disciples of Jesus. We would focus on your word. And I pray, God, that you would also use us in in society, not just to vote and call it good, but that we would actually be about the issues that your word calls us to. And that we would be a shining example of how to go about it, so much so that the systems and the structures of the world would take notice to followers of Jesus and say, how do we do what you're doing? God, I pray over this election and I pray over the days that follow that whatever happens, Lord, that you would stop the evil intentions of those that are planning things. We ask that you would stop them right where they are. We, we pray that plans would be thwarted. We pray that the enemy would be silenced and we pray that your will would be done. We thank you today for all that you're doing. We thank you for the guidance of your word. I pray you'd bless everybody that's watching and listening in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.